right. Well, good morning. Hey, I want to just uh, echo those two things that you just heard about. One is I, I would love for you to come here about Renaud and what uh, I hope is doing. You will, uh, I get to meet with them every month and it's just, it's fascinating to hear what God is doing in a, in a part of the world where, where I think we're all kind of fascinated by. So uh, RSVP, you'll see the instructions in the bulletin. And I also want to just uh, emphasize what Matt was saying. If you are ready to take that next step of faith, uh, we want to encourage you to take that step of faith and baptism. As you can see, this is, it's, a, it's part of our celebration here is to see and to celebrate your, your faith. Uh, we're, we're in a series called Daring Faith. And uh, it, would be, it would be actually odd this morning to kind of just jump into things, as you'll see, uh, without giving you a moment to, to stop and pause. So I'm going to give you about 30 to 40 seconds of silence and quiet, mostly because none of you or a few of you have had, have had 30 to 40 seconds of silence this entire week. So I'm going to give you 30 to 40 seconds of silence. And I, what I want you to do is just take a breath. And I want you just to stop and just to be thankful that you get a chance to be here, to sit with the Lord, to hear what he has to say to you. And so let's take a moment to pray. Uh, just take about 30 seconds quietly to thank him. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for the chance to sit at your feet, to learn from you. I think through uh, exactly what Matt had prayed earlier, how amazing it is in some ways to think of you, a holy God, uh, the great I am, completely transcendent beyond anything of our comprehension, and yet at the same time imminent, near, close, drawing us, calling us to yourself. Uh, we see this story of your desire to be in relationship with us, and we are, we are amazed that you would do such a thing. And so just uh, turn our hearts in some good ways today towards what it would look like to grow uh, as people of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Beach Point Church is a church that has been built on Daring Faith. In 1904, our church began with a group of people, a small group of people, who had Daring Faith. They, even before Huntington Beach was a city, there were a group of, of Christians who just felt a, a burden for this city, and they began, to, they began this church. Uh, in 1906, the very first, our first building was built. It's still down there on Orange and Six. so if you go down to the beach, uh, you'll have a chance to see it. Uh, this is our church in 1920, First Baptist Church of Huntington Beach. Uh, you can see they look a lot like us today, dress a lot the same, uh, but uh, it was a daring faith of just a, of a, of a handful of people who believed that a church could be started. In 1964, in the city of Fountain Valley, before actually the city of Fountain Valley was a city, uh, a group of Christians began to meet. They began to meet in one of those uh, uh, homes that have uh, bonus rooms here in Fountain Valley. They began to meet in that, that upper room. And uh, that small group of people, moved by faith, moved by a burden for the city, began to believe that God was uh, moving that, that by faith, God wanted to plant a church here in Fountain Valley. And so First Baptist Church 
of Fountain Valley was started. In the 70s, uh, the two churches came together, and in, 19, or in 2007, uh, in an effort to save money in printing and, and uh, uh, postage, we changed our name from First Baptist Church of Huntington Beach Fountain Valley to Beach Point Church. It saved us a lot. And no, it's, we just did it because... But in 2015, one of the fascinating things was we went back into the city of Huntington Beach. Uh, 65 people, adults and kids, stepped out in daring faith to start Beach Point Church of Huntington Beach. Uh, When I first asked Pastor Ken to consider whether or not he would think about leading a church plan, if we could, if God would bless our church, if we grew, would we, what do you think about uh, you taking a group of people? Ken had never even preached a sermon before, and his, his kind of reaction was, he was a little startled, and he kind of thought, you know, let me just see if I can kind of work with our college students first, but you will see in two weeks, Ken's going to be here, I'm going to go there, he's going to come here, you'll get to hear him preach. He's amazing, he does an incredible job uh, uh, teaching and leading, and, and uh, it's fascinating to think, so of the Uh, 65 people who kind of helped us get started, 38 of them are still there. Uh, But now the church has grown to over 100 people that are a part of this church. People who were anti-church in Huntington Beach are now a part of this church. People who uh, uh, were far from God have now come drawn close to God and are discovering what it is to have a relationship with him. And it happened as a result of a group of people who had daring faith, who had a burden for their city, and today... For, uh, Beach Point, Huntington Beach is two years old, two years old today. This is our anniversary, our two-year anniversary. So if you want free tacos after this is done, just head on over to them and just pretend you're a part of their group, okay? But we've been trying to think and discover what it would look like. A year ago, we went through a series like this, and we've been thinking about what's been happening over the year, and we're, we want to nurture these commitments that we've made. What does it look like to grow, so and go in faith? And we saw last week that this kind of faith pleases God, that it it blesses God, and that when we act in faith, that God gives us a chance to bless others. But one of the things that happens is that when we act in this kind of faith, that God rewards those of us who, who live this way. And so daring faith is, is something that, that is fascinating. Now, now, usually when you think of daring faith, I mean, it sounds like you, you want to tell stories of the extraordinary, don't you? You want to tell the stories of the people who are quitting their job. They don't know what they're going to next. Or the person who is, I just felt like I had to share with my coworker. I didn't know what I was going to say. I mean, it all feels like it's got to be big and bold and that kind of stuff. That those are the moments that daring faith is forged. It's in these kind of like uh, uh, gut check moments and we just, we just jump with no parachute. But I want to show you today that daring faith is actually forged in a much more simple ordinary way. In fact, the story we're going to look at today isn't exciting at all. It is the most co- one of the most common things we do. It is two people making a meal, making dinner together. And so uh, before you get kind of uh, blown away by this all, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42. And I want us to see how daring faith gets forged in our life? How does it get crafted and created? How does it get deepened in our life? And we're going to read a story about a a family that lived in a a town called Bethany. And in this town, Jesus had some dear friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. And it's kind of interesting because if you were going to tell a story about daring faith and choose these three, uh, the, 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 the simple thing would be 
use John 11, the story where Lazarus dies and Jesus goes and he raises him back from the dead. That seems to make the most sense as that's a daring faith story. But my hope is that you will see that this time, this moment, this kind of simple teaching, this simple time is, is so important because what we see is apart from being attentive to God, we cannot live lives of faith for God. And so Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, we read these words. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now put your finger there. We'll stop for a second. Let's just look at these first words because we see some things that are very, very important. We see that Jesus is on his way. And where is he on his way? We know that this is the last, this is the last chapter of his ministry. Uh, Luke 9, 51, it says that Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem. This is the, he knows this is the last part of his life and the last part of his ministry. And Jesus and his disciples are, are coming through this town. And you can imagine the pressure if you're Martha who is going to open her home up and host Jesus. His, his popularity has been soaring. His, there's a lot that's been going on. People kind of know what's going on. And now you get the opportunity to open your home to Jesus and to his disciples. And so what we see is what we expect. Martha is frantically running around trying to take care of all the needs of the group. She's getting the meal ready. She's getting the preparations ready. But there in the other room we see is her sister, and her sister Mary is, it says, sitting at Jesus' feet. She doesn't seem to have a care in the world. Maybe our first millennial uh, uh, that we've ever seen. She's just kind of enjoying things. But she's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's taking it all in. She's, she's listening to his message. But we see these words that Martha is distracted. She's distracted with everything else that needs to get done. Now notice it never once says that she is distracted with bad things. She is just simply distracted with everything else that needs to be done. Two things that could be done, two things that are being done, and now Jesus is about to teach a lesson. Now many times what Jesus does when he wants to teach a lesson is he brings up two people or two things, and he wants you to compare and contrast, and he wants to help make a point. Now, Scripture is interesting because sometimes what Jesus does, or sometimes what Scripture does, is it is prescriptive, meaning it will tell you what to do or not to do. So we can read in the Scriptures things like, do not steal, okay, prescriptive, don't do that, it's not good. Uh, love your enemies, do that, that's helpful, it will help, help along the way. That's prescriptive. Other times, though, we read the Bible and we see something we would call it, it is descriptive. Meaning that what we see in a story or a narrative, as we read it, as we think about it, as we meditate on it, the lesson begins to kind of come up from it. And we kind of go, oh my, I see myself in that. And we see, without anyone telling us what it is to do or not to do, we see and we sense how we should live and act. And notice something. You can see it there, can't you? Here's the first thing that we see this morning. We get too busy for Jesus. We get too busy for Jesus. We are busy, busy people. Now, I would not, I don't want to ask for a show of hands because I'm afraid it would look like we were doing the wave. But if I were to ask who's busy, who feels busy, I'm pretty sure most of the hands would go up in the room. 
We are convinced as a culture that we just can handle a lot, that we can do more. We're convinced that we can multitask, although study after study has shown that multitasking does not make us more efficient or effective. In fact, the brain cannot put forth effort into two mental processes at a time. We believe the lie, and you've probably told yourself this, if I only had more time. Now, you know what you would do with more time, right? The same thing you do with more space in your house. You would cram more stuff into it. That's just how we are, are, are trained a little bit. Now, this is fascinating. Think about this, that with all the technology and all the improvements, effectiveness has not really changed. We work longer days uh, than, than in the past. 1967, futurists predicted that we would have too much spare time. How many of you want to punch that guy in the face? Okay. Before a Senate subcommittee, it was said, this was what was said. In 1985, we will be down to a 24-hour work week. Some of you did 24 hours just this past weekend, right? You're coming here right from a shift. You understand that there's nothing further from the truth. And our busyness is not just stressing us out. It is stressing out our kids as well. One researcher uh, interviewed over 1,000 kids, grades 3rd through 12th grade, and asked if you could do one thing that would uh, uh, help your parents, one thing that would, would change for your parents, what would that be? The number one response was, I, I want to figure out how to uh, help my parents be less stressed out. Okay? They see it. They feel it. They feel our stress. And we're not busy with bad things, are we? It's not just bad things. It's just, we're just busy with things. Things that have to get done. You and I struggle with being Marthas. There's just too much to do. Now, I want to say to those of you who are Marys, who just can sit at the feet of Jesus, you don't have to listen to the rest of this service. You can just go into that happy place right now and just worship and enjoy. But for the, the Marthas of us here, I, you feel it, right? The busyness leads to burnout. It leads to feelings of being overwhelmed, to exhaustion, to stress, to worry. Our women did a study of this a few years ago in, in our women's Bible study. And uh, the book they used uh, was by a woman named Joanna Weaver. And she says this, she, she talked about worry and stress and fear. And she says this, the, she says, why is the Bible so adamant about our avoiding fear and worry? She says, it's because God knows uh, worry short circuits our relationship with him. It fixes our eyes on our situation rather than on our Savior. When your life is too busy for Jesus, your life is too busy. What's the first thing that goes when you're busy? Prayer, study, devotion, worship. It's not that you want those things to get crowded out. You just know you can crowd it out. Because you're, you're kind of optimistic. You think, oh, I'll just get to that later. Or tonight I'll read. Or tonight I'll pray. Or, you know, you kind of keep, we keep kind of pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And procrastinating. And what we find is usually by the time we push, wherever we push it to, we usually, by the time we get there, we're exhausted. When your life is too busy for Jesus, your life is too busy. 
But there's a second barometer that kind of captures this a little bit. Notice this, that busyness can make us bitter towards others. It can make us bitter towards others. It can have a negative impact on the way we feel and treat other people. And we see this in verse 40. Watch Martha, not only with her sister, but with Jesus. Verse 40 says this, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Okay, again, all good things, things that had to be done. But notice what happens. She came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me out. Now, any of you who have siblings, you totally get this. Have you ever blamed your failures on your siblings and their choices? See, this is what Martha is saying. Jesus, this isn't fair. I've been, I've been working here. I've been slaving, trying to get all this going. I'm trying to take care of you. I'm trying to take care of everyone else. This isn't fair. And you start to see the bitterness creeping in. Notice how it comes and how the bitterness comes towards others. Notice the way that she begins to, to reach out. Not only is she bitter with her sister, but even the bitterness towards Jesus. See, when the bitterness comes and the busyness comes and we kind of get overwhelmed and we're kind of getting taken over, we don't handle interruptions well. We don't handle other people well, do we? You're feeling stressed out, exhausted, and then an interruption comes and you're thinking, I can't take it. Years ago, when I was the youth pastor here, I'd get asked to preach. Well, the challenge for that was I still had to do my whole job that whole week and then I had to prepare a sermon. And so I would be home, I'd, I'd work all week, and so the only time I had to, to write a sermon was on Friday and Saturday. And so I'd, I'd, I'd lock myself in a room on Friday and Saturday, and I'd, I would study, and I'd read, and I'd research. And the door would open up, and a sweet little, little child would walk in. Hey, Dad, can we go outside and have a catch? Get out of here! I'm trying to write a sermon! Don't you see what I'm doing? God needs me! Okay? What better way to prepare your heart and mind and people for worship than to yell at a sweet child who wants to play catch with you? But this is what happens when busyness and anxiety and worry start to overtake us. When the the things of life get out of order. Lord, don't you care? Tell her to help me out. Now, it's very interesting that when uh, she is, she's clearly upset about this. In fact, she wants, really, the way she asks the question is she expects Jesus to agree with her and to say, you're right. Mary, get up. Go help your sister. You're, you're, you lazy person. Go, what in the world are you doing? That's her expectation. But what we're going to see in Jesus, in fact, in a moment, you'll see Jesus respond. And what he's trying to correct, one author says this, he blamed Martha not for her attentive service of love, but for allowing that service to irritate, to agitate, and to absorb her. She is suspicious even of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever gotten there. Lord, I am drowning here. Don't you even care? I can't even make it. I can't even do it. Well, watch what Jesus wants us to see. And here's the last thing I want you to write down. Work is good, but worship is better. Work is good, but worship is better. Jesus says to Martha, look, I appreciate your hospitality, your hard work. 
but worship is better. Sitting at my feet is better. Notice what he says, verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus doesn't tell Martha that work or service is bad. It is good. The Bible makes that very clear. But what Jesus does tell Martha is that she is worried, that she is upset, that she is distracted. She has all these important things going on, but she doesn't have the right things, the main thing prioritized in her life. And what was that one thing? Not all the work she's doing for him, but to be with him. All that other stuff we'll get to. I don't think Jesus thought we won't have a meal. I don't think Jesus thought we, weren't, we don't need to make all the preparations. I think what Jesus is trying to say to her is simply this. We'll get to all that. But first, sit. You sit too. Let's be together. Let me talk. Let's listen. Let's have this time together. And, and, and we see this because notice he has great love and concern for Martha as he corrects her. He says this. He says, Martha, Martha. Now, the doubling of the name is very significant. It's to magnify something. But the only times really we see Jesus do this is when he's being tender, when he is being really emotional, when he's weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. To, to double a name is to, is to emphasize something. That's, and, and so when he's doing this, when he uses her name this way, when he looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you can see the tenderness in his face. You can hear it in his voice. And he realizes you are upset about things. You are worried about things. So the, the word he uses there for worried means this. He can see inside her heart. It means that she's torn up in pieces. He says, I can see, I can see you're just torn up inside. To be upset, the word there means to, it's like a boat being capsized. It's just kind of floating down the stream without any sense of control. He can see, look, your life, this kind of stuff, you're out of control. And he's compassionate for her. And he knows that here's what will change it. Not by Mary getting up, but by you sitting down. One thing is needed. Come, sit with me. Connect with me. Mary needs only this one thing. She is right. You need all this other stuff and it's tearing you up inside. Now I'll tell you, in the church, we are sometimes the worst culprits of this. Uh, We find those of you who are willing and able to serve and we ask you to do this, 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 and this. And so uh, you are busy, 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 busy doing stuff for God and all the time you're wondering why your soul feels really dry. Because you're saying yes to doing all this stuff, but you're, you're not finding the space and the time to be with him. In fact, it's fascinating. There's a, there's a actually, a, we see this story right before this. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus sent the 70 out. They've done all these miracles. They come back to him. They're like, Jesus, everything you said was true. We, we were able to perform miracles. We were able, the demons even submitted to us. We, we, had, we had, there was power And they're so excited about all the things they did. And Jesus is excited with them. And then he catches them with this one simple line. He says, but don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your name is written 
in the book of life. Jesus says, I love all the things you're doing, but here's the thing to really celebrate. You belong to me. You belong to God. Work is good, but worship is better. And when your life is busy for Jesus, your life is too busy. And if you want to figure out if your life is getting too busy, check out how bitter are you getting with the people around you? How anxious are you getting? How torn up inside are you getting? How, how uh, 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 discombobulated do you feel? Do you feel like a boat drifting upside down, down a stream? Because in those moments, you can tell, I've got, the, I've got things out of whack. Daring faith, this is the reason why this, 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 what seems to be such an ordinary passage is so important to daring faith. Daring faith is a response. All we want you to do is learn to be with God, to listen to God, to let him speak into your life. But for you to build such confidence in who he is, that when he asks something of you, you say, let's do it. That's what daring faith is. But to do that, you have to learn to be with him so you can hear him speak. There's a fascinating moment uh, for the disciples as they, they really kind of begin their ministry. In the book of Acts, we, we start to learn about them starting off as a church. And there comes this day where Peter and John, they, they head out to prayer. And as they head into the temple to prayer, there's a man that's begging there. And he's asking for, for a, a handout. And they decide, you know what? Let's go for it. Now here's this daring faith moment where they reach down and they say, silver and gold we don't have, but here's what we do have. Rise up, walk. They reach down, they pick him up. He's, he doesn't just walk. He's, it says he's leaping. He's jumping through. And everyone is amazed by this. And the religious leaders are concerned. So they, they grab Peter and John. They pull him away. They threaten him. They are then able not just to do a daring faith miracle, they make a daring faith proclamation. Salvation is found in nobody else but in Jesus Christ. They tell him, you are not to talk about this guy anymore. Don't do any more of these miracles. And they say, you decide. You're going to obey. Should we obey men or should we obey God? This daring faith encounter. All these things happen and we say, where did this spring from? Where does this kind of faith come from that you can perform miracles and proclamations and encounters? Where does this faith come from? Verse 13 tells us, Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And notice what they saw. They took note that these men had been with Jesus For three years, they sat at his feet. They listened. They learned. They they absorbed his life. They took it in. This was not a a moment of just jumping. This This was response to the time of being with him. And so here's the big idea I want you to see from this passage today. Is that sitting with Jesus is more important than serving him. Sitting with Jesus is more important than serving him. Being with Jesus is more, than do, is more important than doing stuff for him. Because it is in the being with him, it is this, in the sitting with him, that we actually discover what it is we're supposed to be doing. If at the end of the service, you and your family got in your car 
and you just decided, you know what? Let's go. Let's do this. And you just started driving as fast and as far as you could. You're on the 405 freeway and you're just scorching 100 miles an hour. And your family's like, what in the world are you doing? And you're like, I don't know where we're going. We're just going to go fast and far. Woo! At some point, you're like, you're, you're crazy. Right? But some, that's the way we think of daring faith sometimes. Just, it's just how fast I'm going to go, how far. Instead of having any sense of direction of where we're going in the first place. I, I, I hope you see... We, we here at Beach Point, we try really hard to be as intentional as we can with you. We were sharing this a little last week, but I want, let me emphasize it again. We try to be uh, very intentional with you to assist you and your family to sit at the feet of Jesus, to listen, to learn. The story that we went through, we gave you that book so you could read through a chapter at a time, kind of sitting at his feet, learning, uh, uh, seeing things. Every week on your note page on the back, you can, you can do some study, some thinking about the sermon that's coming. You can come in having already studied the passage, uh, having already thought about it, having already prayed about it. We have these Daring Faith devotionals that will be out. Some, some series will, give, will even create for you a, a devotional. Uh, one of our pastors put this together for you. So if you want something to help you, we have these things. If you want to grab a bookmark, they're out there at the table as well. So you can start jotting down thoughts about what you think God is saying to you. We try to be intentional. And our children's ministry is great. Every, every series, they give you something, some idea, some, something you can do with your kids so that you can help teach. But you'll find teaching your kids is a great way for you yourself to learn as well. So you as a family get a chance. We're always talking about the same kinds of things. And so we want to see these things. All these things. The, the, now, these resources, what I don't want you to do, I don't want you to become more busy and feel more guilt-ridden, like, oh my gosh, I can't keep up with this journal and this book and the story. And, ah. Okay? That's not the point. Okay? It's about being with him. And if it helps, we, we want it to help. So I want to invite you to think about a response today. How can you prioritize being with Jesus over everything else, over everything else going on. I, I want to share, you know, uh, last year I came dangerously close to burnout. Now, I, I love the people in my life. I love what I get to do. But I had just let too many things in. I said yes to too much. I had said, uh, I just had gotten away from, from sitting at his feet and I was doing all the things that needed to be done. And I was exhausted, and I was torn up inside, and I was that capsized boat floating down the stream. And I have a good friend. Her name is Pat Mai. She's a professional counselor. She's a spiritual director, and her, and her husband, Doug, have been mentors to Kimberly and I uh, for about 20 years. And twice we, uh, we almost worked with them out in Las Vegas in their church. Uh, I knew for years it would be good to set up regular times to meet with Pat and to talk through things, but I just never did it. Uh, for whatever reason. Uh, but it had gotten bad enough that my loving wife and my good friends said, enough. You're going to go sit with Pat. We're going to take you. You're going to go kind of figure some of this stuff out. You got to figure out how to get stuff back in order. So over two days, Pat and I explored a lot of different stuff, but two themes emerged that were super important. Number one, the first thing was this, that uh, when I first started as a senior pastor here seven, eight years ago, 
I had no idea what I was doing. I'm glad I tricked you. Um, but I was so scared be- that I was going to fail. And, and, and just because I had no experience doing it, that I spent so much time praying. I spent so much time fasting. I spent so much time just being with Jesus. And Pat said something. She goes, you know, it's interesting. In the beginning, you and Jesus would sit together and you'd figure out plans and strategies together. But as the years got by, went by, what I'm hearing is this, is that you actually got pretty good at your job. And you're, you built a great staff and they're very good at their job. And you got great people in the church that are, that are re- ready and willing to serve. And now the church is at a 